0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com.
1: Hey, Kyle, could you come up?
0: Kyle and I had coffee last week, and he was super excited about something that was growing in his neighborhood. We've been talking about being disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and growing up in our relationship with God, in with our relationship in community so that it feels like family. And then out. And the out doesn't have to be sexy. The out is like my neighbors, and, which that's a weird pair, right? Um, sorry. The out is just everyday normal relationships people that I uh, bump into normally in my work, in my neighborhood, in uh, in my places, in my family. And Kyle and I were talking about uh, some of the things that God has been growing in him through the group that he's in of being able to like push and reach out into the neighborhood they're at. So I'd love it if you could take a few minutes and just talk about what's going on in you and what's going on on your block.
1: Yeah, so it all started a couple months ago when... Shannon offered this challenge, $10 pick and save card, and I had brats and like grilled some brats. and Met my neighbors because we're new to the block. We just moved in in May, so I was like, this is a great opportunity to meet my neighbors. And it went so good that I was kind of like hearing rumblings on my street of people saying like, hey, we should have a block party. Hey, we've it's been a long time. It's been like 20 years since we ever like did something fun as all neighbors getting together. But no one like actually like got the permit and did it. So I was like, I'll get it. So. I got the signatures from everyone on my block. I got the permit, set up a block party. We had it last night. People were, like, coming out of the woodworks yesterday. I saw people I didn't even know live on our street. Uh, It was really cool. Like, I think everyone who lived on our street, they were there. And I witnessed people meeting each other. There's this one family. They've lived on the same street for 40 years, and they just met each other yesterday for the first time. Like, how does that happen? And then I also witnessed this other little girl and she was playing with uh, this other lady's dog. And they're like, oh, I love your dog so much. I would love to see your dog again. And the older lady goes, well, you should just walk over to the fence and say hi. And you can come play with the dog anytime. And the girl goes, well, where do you live? And the older lady's like, I'm your next door neighbor. Like, I live right next to you. She's like, well, which side? Which house? She's like, I'm in the yellow one. Just like, It was just amazing watching these like first time connections, even with next door neighbors happening. So it was really cool that I got to be like the catalyst to just bring our neighborhood together and people meeting each other for the first time. And I even met this brand new friend that hopefully is going to turn into a really cool relationship. So, and Eric Lang, I mean, they live on our street too. I mean, they were right in it with us and just meeting people. So get out there and meet your neighbors and maybe throw a block party. It wasn't that hard and it was a lot of fun too.
0: Awesome. Awesome. This is, this is what we're talking about when we start to talk about, like, reaching out into our community. They're real people. Like, they're people. It's not just, I need to go stand on a corner and preach at objects, right? I want to go love people. I want to meet people. You cannot share the gospel if you're not close. Like, it happens in relationships. And so... Just even a simple block party is a way to bring community together, and it's a way to reach out and love and bless and get to know. It starts there, right? And things are growing. There's stuff that's growing on that block of people who are meeting and connecting and growing. So um, the Kurtz and the Langs are teaming up to say, what could we do on our block? That's, uh, we need more of that in our church, as we gather on Sunday morning and then scatter to the places where we live. That's where we take the gospel, right? So, well done. Good job. This is exciting to see what God's doing. Thanks for sharing that, man. You guys know The Velveteen Rabbit? The Velveteen Rabbit is a famous children's book. Um, I was actually kind of a... uh, in high school, in my English class, we had to, like, keep a reading journal and then write book reports, and I was kind of a procrastinator. So one night, I pulled the Velveteen Rabbit off my bookshelf, and I uh, wrote a book report in, I it was my junior year, on the Velveteen Rabbit, and my English teacher gave me, like, an A++. She said, this is fantastic, and I was like, awesome. You are not helping my procrastination, <laughs> but I'll take it. The Velveteen Rabbit is the story of a a stuffed rabbit toy that dreamed of being valuable. He wasn't uh, super shiny. He didn't have moving parts. He wasn't new, and he didn't make noises. He didn't take batteries, and he sat on the shelf, and he wondered if he would ever be real, if he would ever uh, have value within him, and uh, he actually was looked down on by other toys they kind of scoffed at him saying, oh, you're just uh, not all that special. And he had this conversation with the wisest old toy horse in the entire nursery. And he asked this question to the horse, what is real? And the horse gives him kind of a surprising answer. We're jumping into a series today where I think we're going to have some surprising answers to a question that we're asking. The question is, what does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to thrive? It's similar to the rabbit's question. What does it mean to be real? But what does it really mean? Not just to go through life and survive life and to make it through one day at a time. Hopefully I can make it to the finish line and have more good than bad. And then I'll, uh, like plead in front of God, and maybe he'll let me in. Uh, We want to say, what does it look like to flourish? What's it look like to really live life, to be uh, truly happy in the way that God defines happiness, to be fulfilled in the way God defines fulfillment, to really, truly thrive and flourish? Now, this ties together with where we're going as a church. In Matthew 28 Uh, Jesus, at the end of the gospel, Jesus pulls his disciples together and he meets them up on a mountain. And as he's giving his kind of final command in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he gives this command. He says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, make disciples. And more and more and more at Damascus Road, we want to be crystal clear that what we're pursuing is Jesus. What we want to do is we want to follow Jesus. We want to make disciples who can pass that on and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and Uh, Part of this in the Great Commission, when Jesus says, make disciples, if you notice a couple of the phrases that go, he says, go, they're like, while living your life, make disciples. And he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And what that means is, I want you to bring them into the family. To baptize was to immerse, right? Is A ship could be seen baptizing, that was not good news for the ship. Right, It was going down under the water. And the idea is we want to bring people into the family of God. And that's to truly the spiritual content of baptism is like we are coming into a community. And then Jesus says, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So part of disciple making, part of following Jesus is listening to what he commands and doing it, right? I want you to teach them to obey Everything I've commanded. Which begs the question then, what did Jesus command? I'm going to suggest that this question, what did Jesus command, goes hand in hand with the question, what does it mean to flourish? Because God's commands aren't simply a list of to do's so that you earn God's good grace, right? God's commands are not meant for us to be a checklist of things that we go through every day to say, uh, like, are you pleased with me? 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 And if I finish it, then he says, yes. God's commands are given to us so that we can flourish. They're given to us so that we can see a picture of the life he created us to live. To say, as we follow him we flourish. It's not if we follow him, he blesses us and then we'll flourish, right? As we follow him, we flourish. I'll give you a picture of the life you were created for. And as you walk in it, you will thrive. Jesus meets his disciples on the mountaintop with those final directions to make disciples. And I think Sitting from that vantage point, they could look back as he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. They could look back to another mountaintop and say, what did Jesus command? And that becomes uh, the basis for this series that we're jumping into, and we're calling it Flourish. We're going to do a series on uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is on the mountain at the end, and he says, make disciples, teach them to obey everything. They look back on another mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and this longest sermon, collected teaching that Jesus had. The the opening of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes, and we're going to take a look at uh, each one of the Beatitude statements in this series to say, what does it look like to flourish? So first, I want to give you a warning. I want to read this quote by a guy named Jonathan Pennington. And he says, Christians often evade Jesus, especially what he says in the sermon. This is not good. This evasion of the concrete teachings of Jesus has seriously malformed Christian moral practices, moral beliefs, and moral witness. Jesus taught that the test of our discipleship is whether we act on his teachings, whether we put them into practice. This is what it means to build our house on the rock. So as Jesus begins with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, he finishes the sermon with anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That person is like one who builds their house on a rock on a sturdy foundation to hear and to respond to listen to what Jesus commands and then follow through and do that. We don't want to evade Jesus, right? We don't want to somehow uh, say we follow Jesus and then live drastically different from what he commands and what he says, this is the life that I have for you. And we're like, nah, I'll just stay comfortable. We want to follow him, even when it's uncomfortable, Right? So this series, the Beatitudes, it gets at the answer to the question, how do we experience human flourishing? What is happiness? What is it to be blessed? What is shalom as a biblical term? How do we obtain it, and how do we sustain it? When I was in school, in math class, If you had a tough assignment, you could look back to the back pages of the book and all the odd numbers had the answers in there. So you could get it and see it and see if you were doing the right work, if you were on track. I want to give you a cheat like that, a check to say, are we getting it right? Here's what Jesus' teachings are going to reveal. True human flourishing is only available through communion with the Father God, through His revealed Son, Jesus, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This flourishing is only experienced through faithful, heart-deep, whole-person discipleship, following Jesus' teachings and life, which situate us in God's community and His kingdom. The flourishing will only be experienced fully when Jesus returns. And when God finally establishes his reign upon the earth, as followers of Jesus, as we journey through our lives, we're going to experience suffering in this world, which, as Jesus says, is in fact a means to true flourishing even now. So only with God, only through discipleship, starting right now and Ultimately, when Jesus comes back, and it will look different than we might expect. One other note as we get going, I want you to listen to Eugene Peterson, the guy, a pastor who wrote the message to try and take the words of Scripture and make it, um, give it a little bit different uh, twist so that it could be grabbable by us. And I love his poetic uh, bent here. Eugene Peterson says scripture does not prevent us or present us with a moral code and tell us live up to this nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say think like this and you will live well rather the biblical way is to tell a story and then in the telling to invite people live into this This is what it looks like to be human in the God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. These commands of Jesus give us a picture of what it really means to flourish. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read through all of the Beatitudes. And then each week we'll focus in on one. So the Beatitudes are found in Matthew 5. If you have your Bible, you can grab that. Otherwise, we're going to throw that up on the screen. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the, I'm sorry, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitude, the series of nine statements that each begin with the same word. In English, what's the word? Blessed or blessed, however you've grown up in that tradition, right? And we get that word in English, but um, it can kind of be a confusing word in English in that translation. This word can be translated as blessed. That's not wrong, but it, it goes deeper into, it can also be translated, this word can also be translated as happy, or blissful, or fortunate, or flourishing. All of those words are fair translations. And the more I've studied this, the more I've come to love this understanding of these statements start with a flourishing are thee. Flourishing are those who. And again, it's not a, Flourishing are those who do these things and then God makes them flourish. It's like, uh, this, is, this is a picture of the good life. This is a picture of what it looks like to truly flourish. So this same thing happens in the Old Testament. God is a God of flourishing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and Jesus is bringing a new word to it. But in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, opens up with blessed. And it's the same uh, Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word in the New New Testament. Blessed or happy or flourishing is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And that same word shows up again at the end of Psalm 2. Blessed or happy or flourishing are all who take refuge in him. Can you see how it's a picture of flourishing? Not a, if you do this, God will bless you. But a picture of what a flourishing life is Looks like, So Jesus picks up that tone from Psalm 1 and he gives us a picture of what flourishing looks like. But it's kind of opposite of what we'd expect. He starts out with statements like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the meek. And that's not the words that we would pick out on a, what is a happy life look like? What does a truly happy or a truly fulfilled, a truly flourishing and thriving life look like? Jesus is offering a reordering. The rich and the healthy were recognized as being blessed by God. And we do that same thing. Like hashtag blessed only happens when nice good things are happening around us, right? Like whoever wrote hashtag blessed in the hard stuff, and yet that's what Jesus is doing. He's flipping us on our head to say what you think is flourishing actually may not be, and I have a different picture to give you. Jesus, to him, flourishing is different than what the world prescribes. And again, here's the thing. He's not saying, do these things and God will bless you. Do these things and God will bring all these good things. Do these things and God will make your life comfortable. And he'll give you more and more stuff. And you'll prosper in the way that the world recognizes prospering. Jesus is not saying that. He's not even describing actions of flourishing so much as people who are flourishing. This is so important because we have this tendency to make it transactional. If I do this, then God will do this. If I do this, then God is kind of obligated to bless me and give me this. But God has already acted. God is already active before we do a thing, right? This is the gospel. God blesses first, God shows up in our life first. God moves first. God loves first. God gives first. And then we get to see that and we respond to it before we even know we need it. God is moving on our behalf. God goes first. So hear me. This is not performance based, it is about hearing Jesus and what he commands and coming along with him so that we can live the life that he has for us. It's not performance-based. So he starts with this statement, flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing begins with poverty. When you recognize that you are in need, when you recognize that you don't have what it takes, Jesus said, That is flourishing. I don't have anything in me on my own that leads me to the good and full life. Jesus talks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but on my own, I don't do that. Do you do that on your own? Jesus talks about peacemakers, and I can't make peace on my own. On my own, I settle for either conflict avoidance or dominance, but not peacemaking. Flourishing are the merciful, but I don't offer mercy in my strength, right? To look at these statements and to recognize I am not doing these things is actually a sign that you may be breaking into a flourishing life. Hear me on this. To see these things and to see your lacking, to see these things and to see your need, Jesus says, puts you in the right spot, because on your own, that's true. And if you just go on pretending, if you just go on fronting, if you just go on acting as if you have what it takes, that on your own, you can live the life that is truly flourishing, Your kidding yourself, or you're lying to yourself, or you're just faking in front of everybody, you don't have it. And that's good news, because you don't have to have it. You're just like everybody else then. We're all in this together, broken and poor on our own. If I'm going to live a flourishing life, I need to recognize that I need Jesus every day, every day. If you're going to live like this, you need Jesus every day. One of the major reasons, I think, why Jesus is not attractive to people is they don't see their need for him, their utter dependence for him. On my own, I am poor in spirit, but Jesus is rich. 2 Corinthians 8 Verse nine says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, watch this pattern, I love this, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus says, I have something that you need. What you don't have, I can give you and I will trade places with you. I am rich. I have all the resources of heaven. And yet, I'll give all of that up and give it to you so that in your poverty, you can actually become rich in my resources and in my richness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, he made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become The righteousness of God. On my own, I'm broken. On my own, I'm empty. On my own, I'm completely broken by sin. And Jesus trades places. Jesus says, I'm rich and you can have it. Jesus says, I'm pure and I'm righteous and I'm I live the life that you were meant to live and you can have it. I will give it to you. You can have my life. I am for you. I'm giving it for you, and I am the way to that life. How do you know if you're flourishing? You know that you're needy, and that he's sufficient. You know that you can't do it, and that he already did. You say, I'm in need, Jesus, and you can meet it. I'm broken, and you heal I'm sinful, and you forgive. I'm lacking, and you are enough. I am in deep need, and you are the only one that can come through. Flourishing on my own says, I put my best foot forward. And a word for that is called striving. I recently got challenged by a friend of saying, man, I want to be all in. I want to strive to follow Jesus and do it he wants and she's like nah maybe striving isn't the most helpful term there striving has this idea of what can i generate so i want to be clear i want to be all in i want to give my best i want to persevere but i also want to cooperate knowing that on my own i can do nothing right on my own i can do nothing i am poor And Jesus is rich. When Micah was really little, we had a scare. It was my fault. Leslie was out, and it was bath time. And it was one of those dad moments when I looked away from Micah, and when I looked back from across the bathroom, he was standing in the tub. And as I went to say, Micah, don't stand in the tub, he was already falling, and he cracked his face on the side of the tub. And the blood came and I call Leslie freaking out, like, I can't see his teeth. And I can't find his teeth. I don't know where they are. His two front teeth were just gone. Went to the, sorry, some of the this is queasy. You guys okay?
1: <laughs>
0: Lots of blood everywhere. No. Went to the dentist and found out they had impacted. They had just gone up, right? And over time, they, they started to come down. They, like, the dentist said, easy, relax. They'll come back and we're like, no, they're gone. They're like, no, they're up there. And they did. They started to come down over time. And he looked like just a normal kid. We were in the dentist recently and the dentist said, one of those teeth got damaged and there's an infection and I need to pull that tooth. If I do pull the teeth, none of the other teeth, his permanent teeth aren't damaged. He should be just fine. If I leave that tooth in there, Infection is gonna spread, it's gonna do further damage. So Micah's walking around with a big gap. You can see him. It's not because he lost his first big boy teeth. It got pulled out. There was something ill, right, within him. And the doctor gave us a gift in addressing it, in saying, this is it. Now, I could, I could have been angry with the dentist. Why do you gotta give me such bad news, right? The dentist gave me bad news, and the dentist also said there's a cure. There's there's a way that this doesn't have to stay this way. Like, we can get mad at bad news. We can get frustrated at the idea that we're poor. But the dentist said, you don't have to stay that way. I can do something that can help your little kid. And he's running around, he doesn't know. He doesn't care. It's like he put candy corn in his mouth. Uh, The other day, he's like, look, I got a new (laughs) tooth. Like, the kid's resilient, right? (laughs) Bad news doesn't have to stay bad news. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit works in us to say, you need help. Stop pretending that everything is okay. Stop trying to do all of this on your own. Recognize your poverty. Recognize your need. That does not mean you have not been filled by the Holy Spirit. That does not mean you don't have power in God, that you're not already rich. But it does mean that you need Him every day. Every day. And the minute I start to get arrogant and don't recognize my daily need, I'm in trouble. Something is coming my way that is going to take me out. I recognize my need All the time. If you don't see your need, you're not flourishing. We often want to hide. So we isolate. We pose as invulnerable. Like nothing can penetrate me. I'm all good. I'm doing just fine. But being vulnerable with our brokenness is actually a gift. Because it helps us admit our need. And often, I find this true with me, when I reveal something about myself, when I get vulnerable, people are like, I'm glad that you finally see that. <laughs> like, we've been noticing this, and it's good that you're coming to terms with it. And that's not done in a shaming way. That's like, a, yep, we have better eyes together in community, right? Don't try to do this life alone. Let's do this together. All of the riches of heaven are at the command of Jesus and he delights in giving this is the good news that jesus has riches in exchange for our poverty when we say i am in need blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven flourishing are the poor in spirit and this word for could could also be understood as because because theirs is the kingdom when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, you, you recognize that you have access to the kingdom and the kingdom resources. Ephesians 1, 6-18 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I pray that God would open your mind, open your hearts, open your eyes to the riches that are waiting for you. Inheritance that is all yours. Ephesians 3:14 through 21. and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I want your eyes opened. Every day to the need for Jesus. Confess it out loud. Jesus, I need you. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is what I need. And he has done what we need to get him, right? He has already accomplished it. Don't strive to meet your own need. Go to Jesus. This cross was for you, and it's still for you. Jesus trades his riches for your poverty so that you can flourish. My need leads me to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, open our eyes to our poverty. Open our eyes to your riches. Open my eyes to my need for you. Not for shame, but so that we can flourish. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. Not so that we can please you, but because you're already pleased. Because you've already given. Because you've already paid our debt, and given us, offered us the inheritance day by day by day by day by day. Would you show us our utter dependence, our utter need for you, and your delight in giving us richly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.